Okay. <laughs> I told you there was a lot going on today. There's a lot going on. And we're kicking off this red letter challenge next week. If you haven't uh, made yourself aware of this, I would uh, try to find a way to get uh, involved. Um, these books are available, and it's essentially just an all-church study. We're all just doing it together. Uh, you can find your way into a group. You can do it as a family. You can grab a friend. Um, I'm shocked that sometimes things come together in a way that I just wonder, you know, it, it, you can almost, it's, it's only God. Like we've been talking so much about listening to God and doing what he says. <laughs> and somehow we came across this study that uh, a pastor put together for his church. I don't even know how long ago. It's probably been a while. Uh, for Lent, a 40-day practice. And, and the whole idea of it is exactly the very thing that we've been talking about. Let me, let me read you just a little bit of what he wrote in his uh, foreword here about why uh, they did this study. He says, Why does the world around us and the life we live not look anything like the reality Jesus talked about? Why is there no significant difference between the lives of those who call themselves Christians and the rest of the world? I think that's a little bit of harsh. But we all understand that that's true. Even we, I, sometimes when I look at my own life and I think, I'm not sure. It lines up with exactly what Jesus has for me. So there, there's, some, there's a lot of truth in that. It's hard to distinguish. Maybe more today than ever. The difference a Christian or a non-Christian. And he says, what kind of a witness can we be in this world if we simply look the same as everyone else? That's for sure too, true. If we're a poor representation of who God is and what needs to change. What can we do? He says, he goes on, these questions kept bothering me. I kept thinking there has to be something we can do about this. And that's when something so simple came to me. Something so simple it was genius. What if we take the words of Jesus and actually put them into practice? (laughs) If we could actually do this, surely that would change people's perceptions about those who follow Jesus. Every time I hear and think about this concept of doing what Jesus says to do, I think of this illustration that um, Christian uh, pastor and author, uh, Francis Chan, you, you may have seen this. He, he used this illustration when his kids were young and he told them to go to their bed, go and clean their bedrooms. I need you to go clean your bedroom. And an hour later they come back and he says, did you clean your bedroom? And they're like, no, but... We memorized exactly the way you said it, and we can reciprocate it. We can repeat that back to you. And we thought about different ways that we could clean our room, and we prayed about it. It's unacceptable, right? It's like, I've asked you to do something. Do it. Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount. This is still his in his introduction. Um, the greatest sermon ever this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on a rock. We're going to talk a little bit about that today as we continue in the book of Mark. But it's just phenomenal what they've got set up here. Seven weeks. I'm going to start teaching on it next week. Next week, I will teach the intro, which talks about six different elements of our Christian life that are important. Um, I listed them here uh, so you can hear them real quick. Uh, there's being, and there's forgiving, and there's serving, and there's giving, and there's going. Uh, but this, this next week, we're going to talk about all five of those, and then we'll start clicking into it. So um, start getting ready. Start looking. Start um, 
uh, pulling a group or friends or whatever together, get yourself oriented, and we're going to kick it off next week. And, and don't forget, that, that this really ties back even pretty well into our desire to be worshipful, relational, missional people. Right? You, you, you can't really do what God has asked you to do unless you have a high view of him and you have some trust that what he's instructing you to do is right and good. It's, it's, it's a worshipful moment to move in faith. And when we move in faith, we almost always are moving toward other people or with other people. The missional life is a, is a worshipful life. It's, it's, a, it's a relational life. And of course... Um, doing is just that. It's, it's missional. God wants us to go. He's built us to be ambassadors and uh, missionaries. And, and he sends us. He's always sent his people. And Jesus tells us to go. So this is a, this is a beautiful, wonderful study I'm excited about. And I'm encouraged that so many of you have already gotten yourself situated. All right. Um, not a ton of time left this morning, about 20 minutes, uh, but that's enough for us to get to the next parable in Mark chapter four. Um, if you haven't been with us and maybe, maybe even if you have, here's the context. Jesus keeps saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a call back to the Shema, the, the, the Hebrew word that means listen, understand, do. In, in the Hebrew, you, you can't listen and not do. It's not, it's not actually listening. Jesus is saying, if you can hear me, if you can understand what I'm saying, then you should do something about it. He doesn't want to be treated like a flight attendant. I, I've, I did some flying this week. <laughs> and it just, I don't know how they do it. They stand up there, they have a microphone, and they tell you everything that you need to know and do. And then they spend the rest of the time telling you the same things. Like nobody listens to a flight attendant, apparently. I don't know how, I don't know how they stay sane. Jesus said, look, when I, if I tell you, if I say it, it's important. And if you do it, you'll reap the benefits of it. We'll have just enough time to cover this second parable about the. Um, I'm saying I'm, I'm putting this metaphor, this this cup metaphor on it, like a, a bowl or a something that you would you would put water or 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 drink in. The other context is the gospel. Jesus has been sharing the good news. He came to tell people that there's a wonderful, new, and different way of life that I want you to be a part of. The mercy of God has shown up. It's, it's arrived. And he said, in, in me, as hard as this is hard to understand, I, I am God. I am the, the rescuer. This is the good news. Your faith in me assures you of a future with God. There's a lot of hope in the gospel. It's a promise of something different. But it's, it's deeply different. Right? When Jesus earlier in Mark uh, is addressing his disciples, you remember what he did? He changed their names, some of them. Changed their names. 
you get the sense of a, of a deep movement of God in their lives. There's an identity shift happening. The different life that God is promising is, is, is a deep one. It's identity related. Paul, in many of his writings, and I just picked one out of here in 2 Corinthians, where he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creature. A new, a new entity, right? This is an eternal creature. So this is, this is deep personal identity type change type difference that God is promising and it's, and it's eternal in nature. It's, it's, it's deep. It's also inside out. The gospel, shockingly to many Christians, doesn't promise differences that are necessarily circumstantial. The general view of God, really of anybody, is that when I'm in need circumstantially, I pray and he will interject and change my circumstances. And we tend to contort the gospel into thinking, okay, God has something new for me that is deep. It's personal. Uh, Call it peace or contentment or, or joy. But we imagine that what the way that God's do it is he's going to change our circumstances and then that's going to create an internal change, which is the opposite of what we see Jesus doing. It's the opposite of what we hear Jesus talking about. John captures this few sentences from Jesus in his gospel. Jesus says, remain in me also as I remain in you. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me, right? You, you, cannot, you cannot bear fruit. You cannot uh, uh, become healthy outwardly unless you have what I'm offering you in you. Jesus goes on and says, if you keep my commands, if you remain in my love, My Father's love will remain in you. And he says, I've told you this so that my joy might be complete. There's something deep and eternal going on internally that then flows out. So it's important to remember those contexts. There's something deep that Jesus is promising. It's not circumstantial. And the depth and the change and the difference that God wants to make in the person flows out for the good of others. Jesus is offering in the gospel a life made different, not by new circumstances. Can you let that sink in for a minute? Jesus' promise and offer of new life, of different, is not made, created, done through circumstances flowing into you for your good, but it's a newness of God flowing out of you for others' good. Right? So this is our big context. And then he goes from that and he says, like this, and he tells these three parables, of which I'm sort of coming at from the bottom up. And we talked about the mustard seed last week. Two things real quickly on the mustard seed. God is not waiting for you to impress him but for you to trust him. 
he's looking, he says, look, the, the, the kingdom is made up of faith the size of a mustard seed. That's an unimpressive amount of faith. But that is what makes up the kingdom. It's a bunch of ordinary people exhibiting unimpressive amounts of faith. The Christian life isn't about being amazing to God or to others for that matter. The kingdom of God is made up of ordinary people that have believed the gospel and express unimpressive amounts of faith. The second thing that's important is God's power is not dependent upon the size of your faith. We think, you look at your circumstances and you think, and you look at your life and if it's, if it's a shattered, broken thing, then you think, oh, I need something big from God, so I must offer him something big to get something big. He's like, no, actually, I'm just looking for just a modicum of trust to which I can sweep in and do something amazing. The mustard seed. Okay, now, the cup, so to speak. This is what it says. This is the parable. It's very short. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. And that second part is the most compelling part for me. And we might not get to it today. Did you catch it? Whoever does not have what they have will be taken away from them. <laughs> That's fun to talk about, but we might not get to it. With the measure you use, it's going to be measured to you. So you can go a couple different ways with this. I went with this, this cup idea that you, you, you're, you're pouring out, you're, you're uh, giving away... And to the degree that you give away is given back to you. You could think of it in terms of scales if you want to, or, or even, even a measuring stick. To the, to the degree that you uh, weigh something and give it away is the degree that it will be weighed. And, and maybe the measuring stick could be the way that you... Uh, think about it this way. It, it's like how much you have, or it could be to the, the way that you measure others. The way that you analyze, the way that you judge. It, it could be taken that way. The way you measure it out. You think about the way if someone deserves what you have to give. The way you measure out what you have, or the way you think about how much that person might deserve... The way you measure them is the way it's going to be measured to you. Give a little, you receive a little. You use tight standards, expect tight standards. So this is, in either case, this is about really loosening your grip It's about generosity. Generosity in the way you give, generosity in the way you judge or analyze. But but here's part of the reason I was going out this in reverse is because they build on each other. I think Jesus was going deeper and I'm just building it up from the bottom. The mustard seed is about steps of faith. Small steps. 
But those steps of faith are going to be exhibited in the way you measure it out. Any generosity that you have to however you would measure it is going to be rooted in faith. If your life is one of obedient listening to God, it's going to be also riddled with expressions of faith. Your faith, in a sense, will be, will be visible in the measuring out. The way you handle what's been entrusted to you will reflect the degree of faith that you have. Right? Generosity follows faith. Faith, faith in who God is. When we talk about faith, we're talking about trust. Not just, a, not just a general belief, but that God is in control. A God whose resources are unlimited, his mercies are uh, unending, his intentions to protect and to provide are unmatched. I remember vividly both of my boys learning to dive into the pool. If you have kids or you've been around kids or you've seen that thing, you, it's, a, it's actually a pretty special moment for everybody. At least in the way I, it worked for me was I was in the pool and uh, imploring them to what? Trust me. It's a scary thing to jump into the pool. Their, their action, their, their generous giving them themselves to me is made possible by trust in the catcher. Nothing is more just, well, there's probably things that are, I'm trying to, I'm, I don't mean to exaggerate, but it, it bothers me deeply when I see a parent or an authority figure in someone's life implore them to move and then intentionally let them down because it's funny. You ever seen that happen? Where the, where you, 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 the, the, it would be as bad as, hey, jump in the pool, it's going to be fine. And then letting them land in the pool and, and, and struggle and then pick them up. And, and whew, I just think, you, you have no idea how the, the, when you're damaging that trust as a father or a mother or an authority figure, you're damaging their view of God and his ability to trust. But we, we have a God who is not going to falter with regard to his rescue and his provision for us. He is trustworthy and we can trust him. And when we do, Jesus is saying, when you operate from faith, when you release your grip, when you are generous with your life rooted in faith, it will come back to you in those kinds of measures and more, he says. Proverbs 11 says, a generous person will prosper. A generous person will prosper. This is where Jesus gets it. What if you don't have anything? (laughs) What if you don't have anything? 
For those who don't have anything, it will be taken away from you. What does that tell you? You have something. You do have something. Everybody has something to give. If your thought is, yeah, one day I'll be generous. You're on the wrong path. I was sitting in a mud hut in Africa years ago with my friend, Pastor Dan's wife, my called Mama Wakesa. She's gone now, but <clears throat> I loved visiting her and I didn't like visiting her. I loved visiting her because she was a blessing, a wonderful woman whose life had touched so many. But I also knew she was impoverished and she typically had one or two eggs and some peanuts for her day's rations. And if I visited her, I was going to get them. No questions asked. And I made the mistake of refusing once. She didn't speak English, and so I had to work through Pastor Dan. I tried to explain my discomfort that I have. And she said something back, and I said, what did she say? And he said, you won't understand it. And I said, I know, that's why I'm asking you. He said, no, even in English, you won't understand it. I was like, give it a go. And he said, she said, if I cast my bread upon the waters, it will return to me. There's an African proverb that essentially said the same thing. You don't have to worry about giving away whatever you have. It will come back to you. This is the promise of Jesus. Can I tell you in the few minutes that I have left, in case I don't get any further, that I am so impressed by you, all of you, every one of you. I can't look at a single face in this room, if I do know you, and not quickly realize the things that you're doing. With no fanfare, very little thanks. I am privileged to be a part of this church. You are active in your faith, and it's deeply meaningful to me, inspiring to me, to be a part of a church that believes, not just in their head, but with their actions, is a great reward. I am a rich man to know you. Quickly, there's three things you would be good for you to think through when it comes to how you, what you measure out and how you do it. And I'm sure you know some kind of form of this. You have your time, you have your tithe, and you have your talent. Those are the areas. You've got time to offer, you've got resources to offer, and you've got uh, skills and, and gifts and things that God has created you uniquely to do. It's important for you to think through all of those things. We all deal with them differently. Each one of them is of greater challenge. I'm more challenged to be generous with my time than I am with my resources. I'm one of those people that feel like I do not have enough time. I cannot spare any time other than what I've already allocated. And that's never been true, but I have to get over that hump that, that I am the one, when it comes to time, who would say, I don't have any. And the guy says, well, I'm going to take that away from <laughs> you. I don't know which one it is for you. Tithing is typically the greatest threat to our God-centered life. Jesus said it, and I'm paraphrasing, you can only have one center to your life. You can't have a God center and a money center. You're going to have one or the other. And it's sobering to know, to see, and to look where it might be that you are centered. Here's a couple questions for you to ask. You're going to hate all these questions. 
How are your resources distributed to whom, to what, and why? How does it feel if I ask you to pray and to ask God how much you should give to the building campaign? (laughs) And what would happen if you gave away 25% of what you earn? Thinking about all those questions is very uncomfortable because we don't really want to know the answers to them. makes us very uncomfortable to think about the resources that we have. But the humble person will sit down and go, what's happening with every dollar and every resource that God has entrusted to me. What does he want me to do with those? And what if I gave more than I was comfortable? I'm not even saying that you should do that. You understand what I'm saying? To just think about what would happen to your life if you did something crazy. Oftentimes what happens is you realize, oh, it would still be fine, actually. I'd have to change some things. But it's just, these are good exercises to think about where is the center of our life? Because I know you... And you want it to be God. Those are, those are good questions. And moving quickly here, your talent. I know, I know the problem with talent. The main one, if you struggle with it. You don't think you have any. Or it's not good enough. Or it doesn't apply. Or it's going to be embarrassing to try. I've got to wrap it up, but there's a passage in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about what it is like to be a believer and this reality that the Spirit of God moves into a person and works out of them in all sorts of unique and creative ways. I just want you to know that you're good enough. You are good enough. God has created things for you to do with the talents and the skills that he's given you. And somebody has lied to you if you don't believe that. And in all of these cases, whether it's your time or your tithe or your talent, you have to remember the point that it's always going to be small steps of faith with increasing generosity that leads to the depth and the peace and the joy and the identity of God within you. Steps of faith. Complemented with generosity. Under the headship of God and the grace of Jesus and the work of the Spirit is a deeply, internally, deepening and changing experience that turns out for the good of those around you. Let me give you a minute to think and to pray. And I'm going to give you three things to just process. Confession to of the greatness of God. Always remember the promises, the good promises of our provider. Confess the goodness of God and confess our grip on the resources he's entrusted to us. So, Gratitude for what we do have and the opportunities that he's given. Confession, who he is, how I grip. Gratitude for how he's used me thus far in simple ways. 
And then finally, attentiveness to those in your life who are in need of your time or your tithe or your talent. Spend a little time in those spaces. Confession and gratitude and attentiveness. Pastor Justin will close uh, in just a moment. Love you, church. Thankful for your time and your faith and your generosity. It's overwhelming at times. God bless you. Pray for just a moment there with God.